This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's a special edition of the Monday show on a Wednesday following Newcastle United's 1-1 draw with PSG in the Champions League. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by our Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. And we should be here talking about a famous win. We should be here talking about the bravery in which United defended. We should be talking about Alexander Isak's first Champions League goal. We should be talking about Lewis Miley dominating on the biggest stage. We should be talking about Tino Livramento and Anthony Gordon. And we should be talking about Newcastle United heading into the final round of the Champions League game with their destiny in their own hands. Instead, we're talking about VAR. We're talking about how it's cost these players a place in history, how it's cost the fan base a memory of a famous win on a famous night, and how VAR is an utter shambles. Livermento, the man, are judged to have handled the ball in the seventh minute of eight added on, despite every man and his dog seeing that it is chest first before hitting his elbow at a short distance. Referee Zimon Magnet awarded it and after being called to the pitch side monitor. VAR was brought in to stop this nonsense, to remove the glaring errors, but it seems every weekend we are here talking about VAR has failed. It's often not a mistake, it's so-called experienced officials failing to apply the laws of the game properly. It's not a mistake, it's ineptitude. The Champions League is meant to be the best competition in the world. We were told that the officiating is better than the Premier League and that they use VAR properly. It doesn't seem like it. Where does that leave us? Six years on since it was introduced... Are we really any better off? It seems to me, for every right decision, there are two or three errors that uh, are much more costly. Do we scrap it at this point until it improves? There's an argument to say we do. Quite frankly, VAR is failing and it isn't good enough. Aaron, can you tell I'm a little bit angry? Just a little bit, yeah. I can sort of sense that. Can you see in any world how that is a penalty? Uh, No, let's be completely frank. I can't. as you've mentioned there, you know, the biggest footballing club competition in the world and somehow, you know, they're getting a, a mistake that literally I have not seen one person, apart from maybe a few petty, spiteful Arsenal fans saying that they thought it was a penalty. Um, yeah, I, I just still can't get my head around it really 12 hours on. So why has the referee, who was meant to be the best in the game and actually had a decent game up until that point, why is he given it? Has he crumbled? Well, there's a little bit of talk this morning that he wasn't actually shown the angle that we've all seen behind the goal of, of the ball hitting Livermento's chest from sort of face on. Apparently, he has potentially only seen a couple of angles from different spots where it probably wasn't um, too clear. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, saying that you know he did crumble under the pressure. PSG's players were obviously around him. He's obviously in a very, very hostile stadium with a lot of home fans who would have been you know urging him to to give that decision. I don't know, as you say, um, a referee who's meant to be the best in the world, he's refereed Champions League finals, World Cup finals, um, with a team of VR officials who have been there every step of the way with them. And for whatever reason, they've both got it wrong last night um, and Newcastle have, have paid the price. He didn't seem to look at it for too long, did he? It was very quick and 
if that is the case, he wasn't showing the replays. You, you would assume that those replays of the different angles I didn't see would be coming at some point down the line. He, he goes over, and it is literally a matter of seconds before he points to his elbow and says that's where it hit him, so it's a handball. Surely he's just gone too quickly, right? Potentially, yeah, and especially if he hasn't seen that the angle that we've all seen, which you know makes it clear that it's obviously off the body first. Um, yeah, that's probably the only the only thing you can really say about it. And, and let's be clear, he seemed to handle the pressure up until that point really well. You know, PSG were adamant they should have had a penalty um, against Gordon, but that the ref wasn't interested. And, and the other interesting thing is is that. Um, I've just been told by a fan who was over uh, at the game that PSG have a microphone that a fan has control of during the game and the mic plays out across the loudspeaker at the stadium. So when Newcastle United fans started singing, this fan would boo and that drowns them out. That obviously then gets the PSG fans going. And also, when the referee goes over to the monitor, the fan is booing and that's putting extra pressure on the referee. Look, we don't know if it does influence or not, but surely this mic thing... That can't be allowed. Um, if I'm completely honest, I didn't. I didn't really know about the mic. I couldn't certainly couldn't hear it on the on the TV from where I was watching. Um, as for the referee, I think he got some big big calls right last night. He didn't give a penalty on Hakimi in the first half, which I think Ali McCoy's got that spot on. I think if that had been awarded a penalty, I don't think VR would have overturned it. The Lewis Miley one is arguably more of a penalty than the Livermento one, and that wasn't given rightly so. Um, I thought every single decision up until the 95th minute, the referee got spot on, rock solid in the face of you know pretty sustained PSG pressure from the players and the fans, um, which just makes the decision to give the penalty so it on even more baffling and even more heartbreaking, really. Yeah, the game flowed, didn't it? It was a really good spectacle, especially the, the first half. Uh, but what is the remedy with this then? Because it's not just about VAR, is it? It's, it's about the handball rule as well. We we saw back in April the UEFA football board met and they urged clarity from UEFA on the handball rule. And they said, or they recommended to UEFA um, that no handball offence should be called on a player if the ball is previously deflected from his own body and in particular when the ball does not go toward the goal. Now, we understand that those recommendations weren't put into place, uh, but surely common sense has to, has to apply. And, you know, Livermento, the, the distance between his, between his arm and his chest, it was it was next to nothing. It's just baffling. But do we need to change the rules of the game where, and people know who listen to this podcast, that this is my theory, that if it hits your hand in the box and it's not a deliberate attempt by the offensive player to win a handball in the box, it should be a penalty, regardless if it's come off your, your chest, regardless if it's deflected onto you, because that then removes all all elements of, of doubt, or do we change the rule some other way where this just this just doesn't happen? Um, I think, as you say, this was UEFA's you know, football and board that suggested it. It's not as if it's FIFA or, or an outside um, governing body suggesting this to UEFA it's their own governing body who said these rules should be implemented from the start of the 23-24 season they haven't been rejected apparently they obviously clearly haven't been implemented God knows why but it's obviously put a lot more spotlight on it um, look I, I, I don't know I, I don't know what the answer is I, I think I don't think VR is the problem, and I know you just you know did that big monologue there where you've said it is, but I don't think it is because really, if you're, I mean, just look at the absolute ineptitude of these referees in the Premier League, and you're actually going to take the technology away from them. 
it would it would make things ten times worse. But saying that, there does need to be some sort of fix, and I don't know what that is. You know, I don't know whether it's getting ex pros involved or, you know, just pumping significantly more funds into the training of referees. Um, but that's what that's what makes last night even more frustrating is the fact that in the Premier League that wouldn't have been given a, a, as a penalty and we've had a lot of ex-refs, all English, coming out today and agreeing with that. Mark Clattenburg, Dermot Gallagher have both said in no way, shape or form is that a penalty, especially not in the Premier League. Biggest competition in world football um, and you're getting a result and you're getting a you know a decision like that at such a crucial time. I don't know what I don't know what the answer is. Uh, Kerry Sandavid Rayang, who's watching on YouTube, says the problem here isn't VAR itself, but the lack of consistency on the hand, Bobu. And look, I know I did do that big big monologue. I think the issue is that whether it's in the Premier League or in the Champions League, there doesn't seem to be a solution to this. The technology itself is not the issue; it is the people using it. But until someone comes up with an idea and makes a, a big call on who was actually behind the screens. We're going to continue to get these glaring errors which, which are costing football teams. And it's not just Newcastle United. We saw Wolves uh, versus Fulham on Monday. I mean, Gary O'Neill, quite right in everything he said. It's his reputation on his line. It's livelihoods on the line. And week after week, we're seeing these people using this magnificent bit of technology incorrectly. And I just think maybe... You scrap it until people can learn to use it properly. No, I just I, I can't I can't agree with that at all. You're you're telling me that you want to take this technology out of the Premier League and leave leave the on field decisions to the people that are getting it wrong in the first place. But but then but the standard of refereeing in the Premier League is not good enough by any stretch of the imagination to take away VR. They get they get too many decisions wrong with VR, never mind without it. So you're telling me that VR gets scrapped and when Anthony Gordon gets fouled clear as day in the box and it's not given, you'd be screaming for it back. It's not the technology that's the problem. They need to just get a grasp of how to use it better. Yeah, but we seem to be having this conversation every week, every month, where we say the people who are using it are not using it correctly. We are years into this. How much longer can we go on with the ineptitude of, of those behind the screen influencing the referee's decisions. Well, this is this is why the the argument for me is that you need to you know there needs to be either better training, there needs to be ex pros involved, there needs to be something to make the technology work properly. It works in almost every league, and it usually works in the Champions League, apart from a couple of occasions this season. It just doesn't work in the Premier League, so I I just can't get behind. The, the fact of, of taking it out, I mean, it, it would it would cause more problems taking it out because you would have offsides and penalty decisions going against you more so than, you know... It, but do you accept it a little bit more when you know the referees and officials haven't got that, I say, so-called safety net to fall back on because it's not actually working as it should? But I think you do maybe accept it, you, you would maybe accept it a little bit more if you know there's not a second chance to get it right. Which when they, when there is that second chance, they're not getting it right quite often. Yeah, but it's all well and good saying that. But you, but as I've just said, if Newcastle United play Manchester United on Saturday and Newcastle are denied two stormwall penalties, we'd be sat here saying the exact exact opposite, saying, "Well, this is why they need to have a second look at it." So you you can't have it both ways. I know we're sat here really disheartened at a Newcastle result last night because it went against us, but then on the other foot. It, uh, no, I just, I, I just can't get, I can't get on board. And I'm sure people in the comments will be sick to death of VR as you are, but it, it's, it's not the problem for me. It's the people using it. 
I just don't know what I just don't know what the remedy is at all. I mean, interestingly, those in the VAR room last night have reportedly been stood down from the duties. You know, alongside the letters of apology that we see Premier League managers getting, and the removal of officials from their, their, their duties. I don't really get what the, the point is because an apology that is not going to do anyhow any good. Removing these uh, these referees from their jobs tonight. That's not going to change anything. Kieran Trippier made a very good point last night um, and it's a point that a lot of people have said um, and that is that um, Premier League referees or, or Champions League referees should actually walk through the mix zone after a game and have to justify these decisions to reporters. They can't just hide behind you know, nameless, faceless apologies to clubs. They should come out and say, this is why... I give the decision or this is why I didn't give the decision and they have to have more accountability than they have at the minute. Hmm. I think they need to be mic'd up and I also think that if someone is in their ear saying something about a decision, I think every single decision should go to the pitch side monitor. I think at every point, hmm. if there's something they're not sure about, send them to the pitch side monitor because every time at this moment that you go to the pitch side monitor, you know more than likely the decision is getting overturned. I think there's an expectation and there's an, a there's a pressure on the on-field referee to change his decision. Whereas I think if in every instance you send them to the monitor regardless, there won't be that kind of expectation that the decision is going to get overturned. But then how many times? I mean, the game would just be stop, start, stop, start. I, I, I don't actually like you know, them going to the monitor really. I think it if a decision has taken 15 or 20 attempts to look at it and decide, it's not clear and obvious. I don't. I, I feel like it's it. A lot of these decisions are night and day, and and I think adding more stoppages in the game with a touchline monitor isn't the way to go either. Well, if you have an idea about how to fix the mess of our, do get in touch and let us know. Um, let's talk about the football then, because Newcastle United deserve praise for their performance. First half, they were excellent. They absorbed the pressure when they had to. They pressed when they could, and tactically did very well. Second half, it was much more. Uh, backs against the wall, but they were organised and never really looked in, in, in too much danger. Um, but I have seen quite a few people argue that somehow the scanless far decision was just because of the fact that PSG battered Newcastle in the second 45. And I just want to point out how absolute rubbish that is because you set out to win a football match in any fair way you can. And sometimes it isn't pretty, but as long as it, as a, as long as it is effective... And that's what matters. And for 97 minutes, Aaron, it was effective. You know, 38 clearances, so what? That's what the defence are meant to do. Nick Pope pulling off three or four great saves. That's his job. It's not always going to be entertaining or heart racing, but um, especially not against a team like PSG and not with the injuries they've got. But Eddie Howard, a game plan. And other than that shocking bit of refereeing, it, it, it very nearly came off for him. Yeah, it did. I mean, look, those, those second half final minutes were absolutely excruciating before the penalty it seemed like you know there was 15 hours left when there was only 15 minutes and Newcastle did have to spend the last 20-25 minutes of the of the game you know camped in the box PSG with I think it was over 30 shots on goal I think if PSG had scored in the 96 minute through Mbappe then you could hold your hand up and say fair enough PSG deserved something out of the game because of the amount of possession the amount of chance they had in the second half it just makes it, you know, so bittersweet that it came in the circumstances it did. But equally, I thought Newcastle United defended very well with the low block. I think when you add in the fact that Eddie Howe didn't make any changes and you had 11 players out there 
pretty much running on fumes at times, especially in the second half. I think Isaac in the second half looked as if he's maybe still carrying something. Gordon looked a little bit leggy at times. Um, but you look at the performances of Trippier, Lascelles, Livermento, Miggy, some really, really, Miley as well, some really, really good displays out there. Um, but I think, let's be completely honest, if PSG had snatched the league, Liza, in fair circumstances, you wouldn't really have grumbled too much. No, you wouldn't have begrudged it at all because of the way the game panned out. But that's very different to arguing that actually the penalty was was some sort of justice for the way PSG played in the second half. At the end of the day, they couldn't get the better of Newcastle United. They couldn't beat Nick Pope. They couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. They missed some absolute sitters from, from close range, granted. But at the end of the day, that's on, on them. Mm-hmm. And for Newcastle United, as you say, quite rightly, to lose the lead and potentially lose the path into the next round on the back of something just so baffling and frustrating and annoying, it's just, it's just unfair. Yeah, and I think I've I've seen some people today say you know take an issue with the fact people are saying Newcastle were robbed and pointing to the fact it was because you know PSG had so many chances how were they robbed? But actually, the way given the circumstances of the penalty, um, that's the name of the game. Like, do you know yeah. what? I'm sorry to mention a certain manager that that people from Newcastle persuasion probably don't like. Sam Allardyce, right? He gets so much stick, or used to anyway, back in his his uh, his day. About the way he plays, you know, it was boring. It was, you know, it was, it was bang it long. It, you know, it was never entertaining to watch, you know. But for the large part, West Brom aside, Leeds aside, it was effective. Well, I mean, that that second half performance last night looked as if it was a Rafa Benitez team. Let's be yeah. completely honest. It, it was, it was literally back to the wall. We're not going to have many touches in the opposition half. It doesn't matter. We're just going to grind out the one nil, and it's so nearly paid off. And Newcastle would have deserved huge plaudits. Let's let's not. You know, pretend that they defended really well and kept PSG out for the entire game. They didn't. PSG missed some really, really poor chances in that second half. Um, but Newcastle equally made it hard for them. It, it would have been it would have been a very, very resolute, hard fought win, with a little bit of you know bad luck from PSG side sprinkled in if they had lost it one nil. Um, but you need that. You know, you do you ride do your luck in those instances. But I think. Um, it it was it's the manner of the way they lost it, yeah. which is why everybody's so you know fed up this morning. I just think if you've come up with that plan as the best way to beat your opposition, then who cares how it looks? Who cares if you're entertained or not? At the end of the day, you want to win. You you need to win. Three points is what matters, and you know over a consistent basis, it's not going to be that backs the wall approach. It's not going to be boring to watch. It's not going to be zero shots on target in the second half. It's not going to be 64 passes in the second half. But against certain teams, you have to change the way you play. And Eddie Howe and the team deserve huge credit for adopting a different approach and adapting to what was in front of them. Yeah, well, we saw two different Newcastles. We saw in the first half a little bit more of that Newcastle, which we thought would come. And Kieran Tripp, you said, about an hour before kickoff, that they wouldn't change their game plan, and they didn't in the first half. They attacked when they needed to attack. They had some decent chances, um, but then, as you say, they, when they needed to change it up, and we don't often see any how teams spend 30, 40 minutes camped in their own half like we did last night. But the situation, you know, meant it had to happen. You're away at PSG with only 11 men, no one really to bring off the bench. That raucous atmosphere, the attacking players that they were throwing on. I think they had about six strikers on the pitch at one time. Um, so yeah just a shame that you know and, and also a, a point that we haven't 
spoke about and I actually haven't seen too many people talking about on social media because it's sort of got lost and everything else. Where on earth did eight minutes come from, by the way? Well, a lot of people have asked that question actually in the comments I was going to ask you. Because the, there was there was four, f- fair play, four or five substitutes in the second half, 30 seconds of substitute, that's a couple of minutes, throw in a couple of VAR decisions, but there wasn't any goals to add on time for and there wasn't any real serious injuries. There wasn't really many players, Newcastle players, going down with injuries either or, you know, faking injuries. So I don't know where they got eight minutes from as well. Again, maybe, you know, on the, on the topic of, of clarity and openness, do we, we need to start seeing just why so many minutes have been added on? Do we need to see, at the end of the game, the fourth official and his calculations? Yeah, and I think, look, we, we've got used to seeing in the second half of games, four or five minutes, it's just a, a staple now, isn't it, really? And I was expecting last night maybe five or six, but I think... You know, when you get an eight like that out of a game where there wasn't really too much of a stop start, I mean, even those the VAR checks for the other two penalties that weren't given were so quick, and the referee moved straight on. It's it's just another another sort of um, controversial aspect of last night's game, I suppose. It certainly is. We'll jump in to the comments. Uh, Mark says we got robbed, and if VAR doesn't work for stuff like this, then there should be a new rule after the game that the decision should be overturned and the goal disallowed. I don't think, I mean, Aaron, I'm going to agree with you on that one, no? No, no Aaron says uh, not not a chance. Uh, Nathan asks, where does the eight minutes come from? Uh, to kind of phrase, says they should have all been booked for surrounding the referee too. Um, their rules, not mine. Uh, Thomas says we were robbed, end of. He thinks the, uh, the, the referee bottled it against uh, PSG. PSG's ref had a, a good game yeah. until the last minute. I think me and Aaron both agree with that. Um, let's hear from Eddie Howe then, because he's handled this really, really well. We'll hear from him in the moments just after the game, and then we'll, uh, we'll speak about his reaction to the VAR decision. You know where I'm going to start. Um, do you feel a, a huge sense of injustice at the end of that penalty decision? Yes, I do. I think it was, a, in my opinion, it wasn't the right decision. So many things to take into account in that moment. I think the speed first. I mean, it's a ricochet that, when it's slowed down, look, looks totally different to the live event. Um, ball hits his chest first, then comes up, hits his hand. But I don't think his hand's in an unnatural position. I think they're down by his side. He's running, sort of in a running motion. I feel it's a, yeah, I feel it's a poor decision. I think it was hugely frustrating for us because in that moment, you know how little time there is left in the game, but nothing we can do about it now. We've been scratching around and talking to referees, experts back home, and they say that it's not actually in keeping with the guidance that's been issued by UEFA, so it shouldn't have been given as a penalty. Does that? Are you struggling to contain your emotions? You're normally very calm and considered after games yeah of course but I think I uh, I have to control myself that's that's my job but I, it doesn't do any good to, to lose control of, of what you think and what you say but I just feel for the players after what they've given today and, and how we've performed in very difficult circumstances and what that decision does to the group because now the destiny is not with us and that's tough to take after being so close to being in that position so there we have, Eddie Howe. I mean, pick out of what you will out of that, but two key points for me. He says, I have to have, I have to control myself. That's my job, and it doesn't do any good to lose control. I think really good words from him, especially when you consider how other Premier League managers may have reacted. You know, he's very respectful, he's very calm, but 
Mikel Arteta and Jurgen Klopp, I don't think, would have been. I think they can learn a thing or two from, from Eddie Howe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've just haven't been having a little talk off air in the office, haven't we, with a couple of our colleagues, and some of them are saying, oh, you know, Eddie Howe's reaction was a disgrace and he should have been, you know, kicking up a fuss, which is the only way that, you know, um, VR learn and all this. But actually, I think me and you were in agreement that actually uh, Howe's reaction was, was a very, very good. I think it was positive. It was very measured. Even when he was speaking to BT Sport on the side of the pitch, he even had Ali McCoy sort of saying, I don't know how you're staying this calm because... You know, him and Jermaine Genus were obviously calling it all sorts. Um, yeah, I think I think Klopp and Arteta could could learn a, a thing or two from that response because if it had been them on the on the other hand, um, I think we would have seen something very very different. Mm, you would have had Arteta shouting in the mic. You would have had Klopp calling for a, a replay. But I agree um, with you there because for me, I don't want Newcastle United's manager to be embarrassing. You know, he's a calm character and I like the fact that he's not embarrassing himself with his reaction. I'm sure inside, away from, from prying eyes, he's, he's very, very angry. But I think I think you don't have to shout the loudest to be fighting for your side and in, in, in your club and you can be controlled and respectful and still show the players and the fans that you are angry and fighting for the club. I mean, he, he, I don't even think it was inside and away from prying eyes. You could see he was absolutely fuming. He, he, he came out and said, I, I can't say what I actually feel. You know, Eddie Howe knows, you know, exactly what's gone on there. He knows it's an absolute robbery, but he also knows that he can't slag the officials off like other managers do because he will get punished for it. And like you say, you know, he hasn't embarrassed the club. He hasn't, you know, sort of overshadowed it. He's just been very measured, very composed. I personally like that. I'm sure there'll be fans who, you know, think, you know, he, meets, he maybe needs to say what he feels, but... Um, the game's gone. What what good's it going to do now to run it and rave about it? Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the, the standard performers then, which they, well, they were many. Uh, first, Nick Pope. Saves from Mbappe and Dembele were good, but that one from Bacalola with his knee was, was very special. He was superb. He was quick off his line. He was communicating with his defence. That was maybe his best performance, I think, for Newcastle United. Yeah, he's been very, very good in all the Champions League games, to be completely honest, um, apart from maybe one of the Dortmund games aside. But he's... Um, that was one of his better performances. I think look, there's a very, very long list about who gets man of the match, but I think he probably pips it. For I me. think I'd so. I'd be interested to know if other people would maybe have a shout for Livermento or Miggy or Miley or um, a couple of the others. But I think Pope, for me, was, was man of the match. And I actually found myself chuckling away um, in my living room last night because um, this just goes to show that you know so many Cass United fans don't really know how good they've got it. And that was that... Nick Pope has a fantastic first half. He has a fantastic first hour of the game. You know, doesn't put a foot wrong. And then all of a sudden he gets the ball passed back to him and he takes it first time when he should have took a touch and he knocks it uh, out to left back and I think it goes out to play on Newcastle loser or something. Just, you know, a, a little error. And I saw two Newcastle fans straight away back-to-back tweeting, oh, God, Nick Pope, honestly, when when is Howe going to see that Dubravka is so much better? And I was just thinking... Nick Pope's having the game of his life in the Champions League. He's kept Mbappe out. He's making fantastic saves and he's misplaced one pass and you call him for the Bravka. And I just think so many Castle fans do not know how good they've got it. Yes, Nick Pope isn't very good with his feet. We all know that. Yes, he does give us a few heart and mouth moments when he comes out of his box. But if you're looking at shot stoppers in England, he is, you know, he's the best. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. What he does in terms of saving efforts on goal, you can forgive his distribution. Let's be honest, it is shocking, but hey, you will take that and you will take the way he stops and keeps clean sheets for Newcastle. Absolutely 
excellent last night. Uh, Les says Arteta's reaction was a screen for side's poor performance. Eddie, like us, was inherently proud of the team and their efforts. Yeah, Peter says, point. I love Eddie and the way he comes across. He's so respectful to the club, the staff, and the players. We've got loads of people in the comments talking about VAR. Don says VAR was brought in to get the wrong decisions right, but last night they used it to get the right decision wrong. It's breaking the game we love. Um, not, I mean, VAR is not a very popular uh, piece of technology in today's uh, show. Um, Billy says, I remain very positive as a Newcastle fan. I can't remember a team in black and white shirts that give so much so often, and the fans love uh, them for 100% agree with that. Uh, Lewis Miley, outstanding last night again. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, we keep talking about him every single week because every single time he plays, he just puts in another fantastic performance. Ali McCoy said... He wanted to check his passport because Maya looks so calm in such a big arena. And he did, didn't he? You know, he looked very mature, was up and down the pitch, getting his foot in, just looked calm. He looked at home. It was a great moment last night when Ali McCoy said on commentary, yeah, oh, I hope Lewis Miley's friends have been allowed to stay up and watch this. It's as if they're seven, not 17. I'm sure they were allowed to stay up or half past 10 to watch uh, a football match. But um, there was actually two robberies last night because there was obviously the VAR call, which we've spoke about, and there was also Le Cleep's player ratings, which are uh, notoriously harsh. I mean, they absolutely slaughtered the PSG players last night. They were getting threes and fours, um, whereas Newcastle were getting sixes and sevens, which is very high for Le Cleep. Nick Pope got an eight, but somehow Lewis Miley only got a four. I mean, that is absolutely scandalous. I thought he was fantastic last night. Um Looked at home as he did against Chelsea, as he did against Bournemouth. I thought he was fantastic. He pocketed Mbappe once or twice, which was very good to see. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, we're going to have to get used to it because he's going to be in the team for the foreseeable. So, mm. But yeah, I thought he was really, really good last night. Yeah, it's going to be interesting when Sean Longstaff comes back from injury, when Anderson eventually reappear, uh, reappears, and then obviously when Tenali comes back next season. And Joe Willock. And Joe Willock. Sorry, Joe, forgot about you there, mate. But, I mean, Lewis Miley... He's not going to be what he's not going to be a player who just drops out, is he? Well, someone made that made that point last night of how how long does it take us to start talking about Miley filling in as opposed to him actually being one of the first names on the team sheet. Now, I still think he's got a way to go till that happens. I think he probably needs to show it in a couple more games in the Premier League at the highest level. Um, but in terms of what he's done in the short period of time when he's been thrown in, let's be let's be honest, at the deep end. Um, he's more than proven that he's capable at this level, which is absolutely fantastic to see at 17. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, a lot more to come from him. I thought Jamal Lasalle's had a good evening. Mm -hmm. It looked like Fabian Chair probably drew the short straw and had to take on Mbappe a bit more than Newcastle United's captain. But I thought Lasalle was, was dominating. He won the most aerial duels for Newcastle United. Another top performance from him. Yeah, really, really good um, from minute one as well. Um no shakiness, which we see from him at times. I thought he was very, very good. He dealt with Mbappe, you know, very well when he had to. Uh, led the back line well, um, and also sort of got involved when he had to. You saw him, you know, fire sort of flaring up with Mbappe. He was throwing himself into the mix to try and get PSG players away from the referee at times. Um, a really good performance for a player who hasn't obviously got that much Champions League experience. As well. And again, we talk about the conversation about Miley when it becomes the norm to discuss him as a first-team regular. And it seems in recent weeks we've been talking about Lascelles getting up to, to that level. I think we're past the stage where, where we expect it to drop off. I think he's, he's going to be at this regular level of performance until he's out of the team. Well, I got pelters a couple of weeks ago from saying I didn't think Botman would walk straight back into the team I when don't he came he back. Does. And now, I think, I mean, that was probably three or four weeks ago when I was saying that, but I think now I'm probably even more 
confident that Jamal Lasalle's and and if he does, it'll be a real shame because he shouldn't lose his place when Sven Botman comes back. Which, by the way, we still don't know when that'll be, which is you know very very worrying. I mean, if he does have to have surgery, then we're probably gonna, not going to be talking about seeing Botman till February or March anyway. Um, but yeah, of course he shouldn't drop out. He's been absolutely, he's been he's been the standout of that defence in the last six weeks. Oof! Some people come back and say Fabian Chetty, I think. No, but look, I think Fabian Cher's been fantastic. He was amazing against Chelsea on Saturday, but I think we sort of knew Cher had that in his level. I think in terms of who's raised their game in the last six weeks, it's Jamal Lascelles, isn't it? I think I mentioned it after the last game, but we're sitting here talking about Newcastle United being unlucky not to come away from PSG with all three points, not to have their own Champions League destiny in their own hands. And the very fact that they've got Fabian Scher and Jamal Lasalle as a centre-back pairing going up against the likes of Mbappe. Yeah, I mean, you've got those two going up against Mbappe. You've got Lewis Miley running the show in midfield. You've got, you know, well, Eddie Howe seemingly thinks no players on the bench to bring on and, you know, change the game. Lewis Hall was last night. The only player you thought might come on um, in that second half. It just goes to show, I mean, how... And, and I mean, we haven't spoken about this yet, but I think we should... Obviously, it's absolutely devastating about last night and we're all gutted, but the results went their way last night. Dortmund winning was huge, and I think the manner of Dortmund's win, coupled with the fact PSG are so beatable in this group, coupled with the fact that actually I think Murdad Gaddusi is going to get his wish about St James's Park because that atmosphere against Manchester United will be electric because fans will go there feeling aggrieved, and I think the Milan one will be even better. And I think Newcastle United will beat Milan at St James's Park. And as long as Dortmund do their job, the destiny, yes, it isn't in Newcastle's hands, but there's still more than in with a shout of, of going through. Hmm. And you, you know, what's interesting is that if the Magpies don't beat Milan and their European venture does come to an end, you won't see how talking about this far decision, you yeah. won't see how putting it down to injuries, you'll see him addressing what went wrong in terms of them just not reaching the level of performance that we know they can. He's a man who just doesn't peddle excuses, and I'm all for it. Absolutely, yeah. We spoke about it um, a couple of weeks ago, how he's never going to do the, you know, the Steve Bruce thing of, of talking about excuses. Um, and also, even if PSG go and beat Dortmund next week, Newcastle's destiny is in their own hands in terms of staying in Europe. Don't lose to Milan, and you and you're at least playing, you know, in that Europa League knockout, uh, knockout round. Champions League knockout stage or Europa League. Champions League, come on. I'm glad you said. No, I agree. I'm glad you said that. I think they have obviously more chance to win the Europa League, but you want to continue no, the Champions wanna, League. You want to continue. Um, Tina Livermento just continues to impress. My dad rang us before and he said, "Oh, we've got to build a team around that young lad." I don't think anyone would disagree with him defensively and attacking. He, he he's got it all, and to be doing it after such a short space of time, after a horrendous injury, I mean, you're still not playing after your ACL. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, they, they say, what's the saying? A, a, even a broken clock's right twice a day. And your prediction that he's going to be uh, a starter, well, I mean, I think you said he was going to unseat Kieran Trippier, which is the jury's still out. But I tell you what, we were talking about it in the office before we came on air. Dan Byrne must be looking and thinking, how on earth do I get back into this team? Because it doesn't matter whether you play a Livermento, right back, left back, right midfield, he could probably do a job in centre midfield. Um, he's, he is now undroppable, isn't he? And he what, 21? I think he's been... Last night wasn't even a shock, really, because he's done it in every single game. He's in such a good vein of form. But last night, he was he was extra good, I thought. Not to brag, but I think a lot of my predictions are, are ringing true. 
Mm. And I stick by my, my point. I'm not even going to change it. I still think there's a strong possibility that he might actually be first choice right back next season. Mm. We shall see. But yeah, tremendous from him. And we can't uh, go on without mentioning Miguel Almiron because his work rate was something special. And that's what he does. It doesn't always get the praise from those outside of Newcastle because he's an attacker and they'll say, oh, he should be judged on goals or assists. But his work rate, tracking back, yards covered, it's often unrivaled. He won 12 out of 16 ground duels against PSG, which just shows you how important he was at the back. Um, yeah, if I'm completely honest, one of his one of his better performances in recent months, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. That first half, he was you know far and away the best player, I thought, maybe alongside Pope. Um, really, really good, and that's just what he offers, and that is why he stayed in Eddie Howe's set-up for so long, when others would have got rid of him or upgraded him. You know, we can talk about you know whether he produces enough going forward, but he more than makes up for it with what he does defensively. And I thought last night when they really needed it, backs against the wall. Can you imagine that second half performance with someone like Alan St Maximin in the team? It wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have been as as compact and as tight. Um, and he deserves huge praise for what he did last night. I thought he was. I mean, I think some people would say he's up there for man of the match. I think Pope, Livermento, and Miggy were the three last night that were really, really just a class above. I thought. Mm. And a great shot on goal as well, which obviously then was spilled out. To, it was a howler, by the way. It was. But let's praise Lewis Miley in that instance yeah, that because the run around yeah. uh, Hernandez to distract him for, for Miggy to get the shot off was superb. And again, 17 years of age and just having that footballing brain to just do that, open the space up, tremendous from him. But yeah, Miggy putting in the defensive work, which is brilliant to see. Now, you mentioned the subs and how we didn't use any Eddie Howe. Uh, we know the injuries would have played a factor in that, but... I thought the final 10, especially, Alexander Izak looked like he yeah. couldn't trap a bag of cement. He was that tired. He couldn't control the ball. He wasn't effective. So why didn't Eddie Howe make a change? You know, why didn't he bring Lewis Hall on and maybe move Gordon up front? Or why didn't he even just bring Michael Andweeney on? Because to be brutal, Izak, he wasn't there in the final 10 minutes. So why not bring on someone with a bit of legs? Even a young lad like Andweeney, Okay, he hasn't got the goal scoring now of Isaac at this moment in time, but he'll have the energy and he to agree would be more effective in the in the role that Isaac had to play in them final ten minutes. I am sort of with Eddie on this one and I'm sort of glad he didn't bring a sub on because they all knew their jobs in that last 20 minutes, even though they were getting run ragged and PSG really should have probably on another on another day went and won the game. I think if you're throwing a youngster into that and they're having to, you know, work out who they're marking in, it's taking them five, ten minutes to get up to speed with the but game. It was Alexander Isaac. I mean, Isaac was kind of like halfway, just about a bit. A bit but they beyond. didn't really need Isaac to do it. Well, anything, that's did my they? point, though. But would it then not just ha- be be beneficial to have just throwing someone with a bit of energy mm, into the mix? Maybe. I, I, look, I, I don't know. I don't think it would have made too much of a difference personally. But I, I get, I get the point. But I think it just goes to show that anyhow, clearly didn't. You know, trust any of the bench given how young they all are. We're going to see just how fit they are, aren't we, on, on Saturday? We are, yeah. And because um, hard work um, in France and my United coming right around the corner. So, where does that leave Newcastle United then? As Aaron said, they've still got a chance to get through the knockout stages. If they beat Milan and Dortmund beat PSG, they'll go through. If PSG win and United beat Milan, it's the Europa League for Newcastle United. So, it is very much in their hands. Uh, Aaron. Are we guilty of maybe focusing too much on VAR and we just need to try and focus on the positives, i.e. great performance in Paris, great performances by the majority, if not everybody, who played last night? Um, no, if I'm completely honest, I think we're well within my right to um, 
to talk about VAR as much as we have, and it is the, you know, you can't get away from the fact it is the the main talking point of last night's game. Um, I just hope that we aren't, you know, doing what Arsenal are doing in a three weeks time where, where you know, um, applauding a decision that goes against PSG. We need to be more dignified than that. But I think we can talk about both sides. The positives were there. Um, Newcastle really took the game in the first half. They defended resolutely second half. But you can't get away from the fact that the you know the the main talking point from last night's game was that scandalous decision. Yeah, I'll just quickly read some comments out before we wrap up. Uh, to coin a phrase, says uh, we may regret that decision not to make any subs uh, in the game against Manchester United and beyond to run the players into the ground. Member Bournemouth, they say. Uh, John says, if we go into the Europa League, I reckon we'll be one of the favourites. We seem to be going along quite nicely at the moment, and we've got about eleven out injured. How? Uh, will we do when they come back? And I'll finish, Aaron, on, on this one and get your thoughts on it. So, Hani Hani um, on Facebook says, according uh, to me, their opinion is that Howe needs to refresh the squad this January. Um, Howe should look at the contracts of most of our senior players, especially those who will expire uh, after this season, and th- thinks they should be sold. It can leave more space for the team to lower more players some of the players like Matt Target they already know there's no longer any space for them in the squad wow so um, this, this this chap wants a full overhaul in January uh, yeah I, I, I don't really agree with that I don't think I need to say too much on it uh, John adds it might be handy for us that my night play in Turkey this evening I think we've got the edge at home anyway chaps this has been everything it's black and white podcast thank you very much for tuning in i'll be back with john gibson on thursday morning and the view from the opposition on friday in the meantime head over to chronicle live.co.uk from south now and we'll see you guys very soon